Welcome to Unfuck Your Brain, the only podcast that teaches you how to use psychology, feminism, and coaching to rewire your brain and get what you want in life. And now here's your host, Harvard Law School grad, feminist rock star, and master coach, Kara Lowenthal. We've all heard that saying, or maybe that song, all you need is love. It's a nice idea, but even if it were true, most of us don't really know how to love others or ourselves with a managed or even half-managed mind, right? We don't really know how to love unconditionally, how to love without attachment, how to love when we're disappointed or upset, how to love in a way that actually feels nourishing and like freedom rather than feeling graspy or selfish or hard. I think that love is one of the most incredible emotions that the human brain can produce, but we do need to know how to do it for ourselves when we want to. We can't depend on other people or circumstances to make us feel love. That's why I've recorded this absolutely free Love Hacks limited series podcast. This podcast has bonus episodes you won't hear anywhere else on the podcast feed, all about self-love, friend love, family love, romantic love, and a couple of extra bonus episodes that you have to subscribe to find out about. Each of these episodes is packed with really clear, concrete, and actionable content and steps that will help you figure out how to change the way you're thinking to create more love in any circumstance or for any person in your life, including yourself, the most important relationship of all. To get access to this Love Hacks limited series podcast is totally free, but you do have to opt in to get it. So text your email to plus one three four seven nine nine seven one seven eight four. That's plus one three four seven nine nine seven one seven eight four. Give us an email that you actually check so that you will definitely get it. You will get a prompt when you text us that will come back as a reply text, and it's going to ask you for the code word, and the code word is HACKS, H-A-C-K-S. So you text back HACKS, and you will get the link to the Love Hacks Limited Series podcast, or just go to unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash HACKS, same spelling, H-A-C-K-S, unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash HACKS. I cannot wait for you to listen. These are the tools I use myself in my own life to create love whenever I need to for anyone else or myself. Go ahead, text your email, visit unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash HACKS. Make sure you get access to this training. It's just a few episodes that can truly change your life. Hello, my friends, my chickens, my students, my listeners, my clients, all of you, everybody listening. So I do quite a few interviews on other people's podcasts, of course. And, you know, normally they're fine and you can listen to them if you happen to listen to those other podcasts. But once in a while, I do one that I just think is so valuable and such a kind of addition to what I normally talk about that I really want to share it with you all. Often when I go on another podcast, you know, they don't know about thought work and I'm just kind of going over the basics and y'all know the basics. But sometimes I have a conversation like I had on the Hack Your Time podcast with my friend and former coach Vicky. And it's such a good, deep conversation that takes our concepts to another level with a topic that I haven't explored in that way on this podcast. And so then I really want to share it with you. So that's what this episode is. It's a conversation I had on the Hack Your Time podcast. And we get really deep into thought patterns around time and time usage and productivity and the industrial revolution and capitalism and patriarchy and how we think about time and how that changes when we are a solopreneur or an employee or an employer or a business owner or just a person in the world outside of those identities. So just a really rich, juicy conversation. I'm really excited for all of you to hear it because time management, quote unquote, is something we all need to think about one way or the other. How we're using our time, how do you do that intentionally, what kinds of thoughts and values are shaping that that we may not even be aware of. So I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. I think it is so valuable, and I'm so glad that Vicky was willing for me to share it here as well. 
Hello, hello, lovely people. I am so excited today. I have lined up an absolute treat for you. Cara Lowenthal is on the podcast and she is a feminist coach, but more than that, I think one of the pioneers in feminist coaching. She's definitely a role model of mine and also a former client as I was lucky enough to work with her one-on-one, which don't email and ask if I do that. I don't. (laughs) Very rare occasions, like a DM from Cara. And also, actually, you want me to do some workshops for your team as well. And I coach someone on your team, which we can chat a bit about as well. So welcome. Hi. Thank you. I'm going to actually require everyone to refer to me as an absolute treat from now on. I'm going to tell my partner that's how I'd like to be addressed. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Amazing. So I thought we'd kick off actually maybe and speak with some of the themes that we both see and experience around time and women before we delve into like our experience together and so I'd love to start by asking you obviously my listeners know what I speak about all the time in fact I even remember you created a post on Facebook that was like what are some of the things that people try and tell women how to do mm-hmm. and I commented time and then you broke it down like yes but how to spend their work time how to spend their mornings how to you know show up in a relationship how to show up in relationships with siblings and kids and parents and all of this mm-hmm. stuff and so I think that's really interesting as well it's like an area of our lives whereas women other people have a lot of opinions about how we should be spending it Yeah. So for people who aren't familiar with me, I'm the host of the Unfuck Your Brain podcast, and I teach sort of women how to become aware of how society has impacted their thinking and how to change that thinking. So, you know, if you're familiar with, if you're listening to this podcast, you listen to a lot of mindset and thought work coaching in general. And my work is really about adding the lens of gender-based socialization to that coaching conversation, not just gender-based. I'm an intersectional feminist coach. So I also talk about the impacts of white supremacy on your minds, on your thought process of fat phobia, of ableism, of all the different kind of oppressive structures we live in. And so I think, you know, when it comes to time, there's certain areas where I think women are getting most of the socialization. And then there's some areas where I think we're getting like, everybody's getting some bad capitalist socialization. And then women and other marginalized people are getting like specific additional, it's like scoops, like another scoop of ice cream, like, but it's not ice cream because it's not delicious. Like another scoop of terribleness on top of that. So, you know, we're all getting socialized around how we should be spending our time and the morality, the moral value that's associated and kind of layered on different ways of spending your time and what you're supposed to be doing with your time. Then women are getting socialized particularly hard around this. And I think that's because one of the kind of core principles of what I teach is that women are socialized to believe that their value lies essentially in being of service to other people. And like, it's a, like a utilitarian value. They're not socialized to believe they have value just for existing. It's what do you do with your body or your emotions or your brain for other people? Mm-hmm. And so obviously that is going to really impact how you think about time and how you spend your time. If your unconscious core belief is that you're only allowed to exist if you are doing something for somebody else. Right. Like we are here to serve others. And therefore, when we are not serving others, we are doing something wrong, which is where I think so much guilt comes in. I think, I mean, I can tell you from coaching my own clients that time guilt is so prevalent Mm -hmm. and it's not like exclusive. It's not like, oh, I feel guilty if I'm working, that I'm away from my kids. I also feel guilty with my kids. that I'm away from working. Of course. Yeah. Let alone the double bind, whatever you're doing, you feel like you should be doing that, but also something else at the same time. So you can never be present with wherever you are. Right, exactly. And I think that lack of ability to be present is also something that we're like, well, that's my fault. I can't be present. And let me use- if I just meditate and have the perfect morning routine, then I would be present all day long. Right. And, and my new favorite one that I've seen come up so much recently on social media is oh, the answer to 99.99% of your problems is actually just waking up an hour earlier. What do you think about that? (laughs) I mean, I've, against my own will, become a morning person lately and it is helpful, but I don't think it's the answer to structural, you know, (laughs) sexism and racism. (laughs) Yes, thank you. Thanks for clarifying that. (laughs) I also think one of the fundamental issues around time for women and marginalized people is 
we were just never considered when the existing time culture was created. We weren't considered when the existing structures around how we work were created. We weren't like, there's just zero consideration for us in that arena. And as women are, you know, the largest growth area in terms of the workforce, you know, how we've been taught to do that is to like push forward and be willing to work twice as hard as anyone else. And obviously the response of that, I think the burnout is not just a result of working longer and harder and pushing ourselves and the stress, but really working in a way that's not at all in tune with how we should work. Like we're disconnected from ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, the sort of nine to five, like white collar worker, you know, work day was designed for a heterosexual man who was married and had a wife at home who was taking care of everything else in his life. Mm -hmm. So to try to do that and then do everything else in your life as well, is it's not how it was designed. I mean, I think in the way that time and work were designed cross genders for blue collar workers and like in the factories of the industrial revolution was also not compatible. I mean, people used to like live in dormitories and go to the factory 12 hours a day and go home, which we're not trying to emulate that. But even there, it was not designed for what we're all trying to do, which is like somehow work an eight to 10 hour day and also run our own household and take care of kids and have hobbies and have friends and have a million other things. So, I mean, I think for me, it's very hard to talk about the problems with time without talking about capitalism and right the sort of late stage capitalism that we're in. But that also is complicated by the fact that most people who haven't studied anything about this conflate things. So when we talk about capitalism here, we're not talking about like barter or basic commerce, which, you know, every society has had since the beginning of time, because you have too many eggs and I don't have a blanket and like, we need to trade, right? Even having currency, it's not just barter, having a basic currency, that is sort of commerce. That's not the same as capitalism, which is about scale and exploitation of labor. And so capitalism is inherently like ever expanding. There's no, like a barter system or even a basic commerce system can just stay the way it is and just exist in perpetuity. It doesn't really have to get bigger or smaller or change. But capitalism, the way it's designed is that you always have to keep growing and maximizing profits. And so there's more and more pressure on time and resources. And I think, you know, we are all caught up in that. And then in America in particular, and this is interesting because you and I have different kind of, you know, backgrounds, but in America, I think it's very hooked up with kind of the Puritan origins of a lot of our culture and our social discourse, which is that, you know, working is virtuous and laziness is sin and idleness. You know, the devil finds work for idle hands, like all of this. And I grew up Jewish, so I was like a little exempted from this, but the Jewish immigrant mentality in, you know, New York is not chill either. Like there's a lot of, a lot of hard work pressure there too. I've now made like 17 points in this comment, but I think that one of the things that I find most powerful about coaching around these issues is that people have never questioned the idea that like that lazy exists and is bad or that being productive is not inherently good. Like people don't even see that level of moralism that's baked in. Yes. I actually spoke about this once somewhere about how the definition of lazy actually means choosing not to do something. So why is that bad? Like it's right. Right. Not do something. And also whenever you do do one thing, you're choosing not to do another thing. So 100%. I think people's definition of lazy is rest. It's just like, if I am not actively doing a thing and resting doesn't count, then I'm being lazy. And everybody will say they believe it's important to rest, but then just in any specific instance of it, they are uncomfortable doing it. Yeah. It's just like people are always like, yeah, I'm willing to feel all my negative emotions. And then with any specific emotion, you're coaching them. They're like, no, I want yeah. to feel this one. I meant theoretically, I'd be willing to feel some other negative emotion. So we're all like, yeah, theoretically, I think rest is important, like for other people. And at some point I should rest, but I certainly can't rest now because I have too much to do and it would be lazy and it's not productive, you know, Uh so like that kind of, there's a meme going around right now. That's like, ah, it's so wonderful to be here relaxing. Also me, I wonder if I could relax more productively. And like, that's funny. We all had that thought. Yes. It's a huge thing. And it's funny because I remember my mom was saying, like a few weeks ago, she said, I said, how was your day? And she goes, it's good. I got a lot done. Of course. Yes. Right. And it's like just thinking of this. Is, oh, I had a bad day. I didn't get anything done. Yes. My partner's like that. I mean, I spend so much time with coaches that like, then you start spending a lot of time with somebody who comes to you. Now he's been coached, but it comes to you fresh. And it was like, yeah, I feel really guilty. I like didn't get enough done today. And I was like, oh my God, I forgot that that's a way people are running their lives. Like we got to talk about this. Right. Yeah. 
And even, I mean, the idea that's come up recently in my coaching community is this like guilt around doing nothing. And one of the things we've been speaking about is like, it's literally impossible to do nothing. Even as you sit still, lie still, eyes shut, like your body is literally working to keep you alive. I just think the guilt is such a fascinating thing. Like feeling unproductive. I'm like, okay, you didn't produce something. You feel unproductive. Fine. Guilt is like by not doing a work task, I have morally sinned. Like that's what guilt is. I have committed a moral wrong. I have done something that is immoral by not doing this work task. Like it's like you didn't send an email, Janet. You didn't murder someone. And I'm not making light of that concern. We all have that thought process, but it's just interesting to break it down. Like really ask yourself, like, what does that mean? I'm saying that like not finishing that report by Thursday at eight and doing it Friday at noon instead was immoral of me. Like I violated a moral precept. What? You know, the 10 commandments, I mean, I'm not particularly religious. It's not like the 10 commandments are the be all end all, but one of the 10 commandments wasn't like, you must finish your work projects on time. Like, why is that? It's like, don't kill, don't, you know, don't steal. Don't respond to email. Don't, yeah. Don't kill, don't steal. And don't ever have a day you take a nap. Like that's not, these are not on the same level. Yes, absolutely. And one of the things that I, that I think is we've been programmed to think to be producers or consumers. And when we're not either of those things, because for example, I think it's, you know, fine society in terms of our society to be consuming, right? It's okay to be consuming, whether that's like 17 videos on YouTube or 17 pairs of shoes on online. Right, you can go to the movies because you're going to spend money on a ticket and popcorn, or you can like go play golf and because you have to buy a bunch of stuff to do that and then be at the country club. But yeah. just sitting on your couch is that's lazy. Yes. And that's the problem because that, so if you think about it, like who would benefit most from that narrative? Not right. What does capitalism need? Consumers and producers. Those are the two identities you can have. And all of us are both of them at different times. Yes. Yeah. And the way that rest gets like commodified in the sense that it like relaxation gets associated with things that cost money. Right. right. You go on a vacation and pay for a hotel and pay for restaurants. You need to do a leisure activity where you have to buy a bunch of things to do it. You're right. You always have to be either you have to be performing production or consumption all the time. Yes. And that point that Cara's just made is actually huge because I'm seeing this more and more in terms of, and even if it's consuming like social media or blogs or like how-to guides or whatever. So it's like money, but just consuming information that other people can make money from. So I think that's a huge- Yeah. When you're scrolling on social media, you actually are, that's a funny way of thinking about it because people feel guilty about that. You actually are producing, you're producing data for Facebook and Instagram to mine and mine and sell ads on. So you can think about it that way if you feel better about it. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. And what's interesting as I'm speaking is I'm thinking is like, I've never put this together before, but speaking to you, it's so clear. Like my background was in economics. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, of course I've ended up in the time arena. It's so funny. Yeah. How you've brought it to me today. Well, because it's such a different resource, right? Money is a resource that you can like it's more flexible and time is really like, we have this amount, unless it turns out that, you know, cyrogenics works like this. is it. So how are we going to, how are we going to spend it? How are we going to create, you know, it's a different thing. Totally. And then another thing I wanted to speak to you about is because you have a company. So it's interesting for us to speak about for women and for individuals and also for business owners and managers, like how is it managing that? Like when you're yeah, creating so buying time or how I think about time management for my employees or your employees, how you think about it? You know, I mean, I think this is a complicated area primarily because especially as you're scaling a business, you kind of can't be everywhere and have your eyes everywhere. And like, I feel conflicted around this and that's sort of like trying to function in, you know, in like one kind of world when you're trying to operate a different way, but then you also, you know, you, not everybody who works for you necessarily, first of all, not everybody who works for you is going to operate the same way you do. Like I am somebody who is a sprinter, like gets a lot done in a short period of time. Some people are not, some people are like marathon walkers. Some people really need structure and accountability to get their work done. Mm-hmm. And so it would be nice to be like, well, it's utopia. I just, I don't know what they're doing. They just create their results and I don't care where and when, and I don't know anything about it. But I recently had an experience with somebody on my team where I had relaxed my sort of requirement for employees at a certain level to like, basically for me to know what they were doing all the time. And it really turned out that we had like redundancy on the team and there shouldn't have been two jobs. So, you know, 
that was the downside <laughs> of, of that. So I think, I don't think it's an easy answer. Like I would like to be able to say, yeah, that we have, you know, that because I'm a full convert to the time hacker method, we have no structure and people just have job responsibilities and they do them in the middle of the night from Hawaii and it's fine. You know, you're also in a business like, when people are on a team, they have to be able to communicate with each other at certain times. And they have to, you know, like we had a great application for a job recently from somebody who lived in New Zealand. And I just was like, you're not going to be awake when the rest of the team is awake. And like, there might be some, yeah, if you were just a graphic designer who just sent things in, got feedback, like maybe that would work. But for yeah. this position on the team, you need to be able to come to meetings. So this is just not, you know, you run into, I think, more complicated areas. But I think for me, the thing I find the most helpful is really when it comes to like looking at what my employees are doing and coaching them and being able to be like, okay, why is this taking so much time? You yeah. must have some thoughts happening. Like, let's talk about what are your thoughts here, right? Like, why is it six hours for this half hour task? It's not because you're lazy or stupid. Like, it's because you have some thought about how you're doing it or what you're supposed to do or how long it's supposed to take. And so I think all of that coaching as an employer is really important. So you do have to clean up your own stuff, but I think you also have to be realistic about different jobs are going to operate different ways and like different, you know, I mean, you and I have talked about simple, like, I don't know if you're like a bus driver, it's like, well, you can't, like, you really got to drive that route. You got to, the kids got to be picked up from school at a certain time and dropped off. So we can't just be like, drive as fast as you can and do the route as short as you can and have more time off. Like you have to be kind of realistic about how the time has to work for different jobs and what different employee work styles need. And, you know, I think so much of business advice is just trying, people are like, I don't want to have to use my discernment and like figure out a bunch of different things. I just want one rule to apply. Mm -hmm. And there generally isn't one. Yeah. And I think you're exactly right. I think sometimes the issue is companies looking to solve the like time issues that arise, like bring in a trainer who teaches like time boxing and that doesn't work for everyone. And it's not a one size fits all. It really is about deciding as the manager, as the head, like what the priorities are for the different roles and communicating that as you're recruiting. It's very hard as an entrepreneur, because usually if you have created the company, you have a very different work style than the kind of people who want to work in a company. Like, you did this to yourself because you didn't want to work in a company. And then you're hiring people who do want to work in a company. So you have like a very different set. Of, you know, it's not a one size fits all. And like learning how to think in those two different ways is challenging. Yeah. And also I was speaking to a CEO recently and he was saying like, he thinks a lot of his success is one of the things we talk about in time hacking is like showing up with fear and like, Mm -hmm. you know, not looking to like feel amazing about everything all the time. But that's like a very much a founder CEO personality trait. Right, right. (laughs) And not necessarily for employees and understanding that and understanding that like our priorities are different, how we think is different, how it is different is huge. So I love that you shared that. Which is so important. Like I need somebody on my team who loves processes because I do not love processes. I mean, I'll follow it once we have it, but I don't want to make it up. Yes. Yes. I just hired a director of operations and I'm like, oh, this is so like delicious. Not just. Oh my God. It's so good. You get a good operations person and they just like, they're like, here's the spreadsheet that I've laid out perfectly for you. And here's how it'll work. And you're just like, I'm just going to go down this yellow brick road. This is amazing. (laughs) Yes. And I think it's hard, actually, because I know a lot of people listening to this probably are also solopreneurs or coaches or whatever. And I think it's also hard when you're building the business as a one person or maybe even supported by a VA. It's really hard because there are so many things you are doing that are not in your skill set. Yeah. 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 You're like the head of customer service and the head of marketing and the head of vision and the head of... I mean, even now I have 12 employees and I still do at least three jobs in the business. Yes. Right. And it's like, I think, but I think especially, and probably even for you now, but for that person, like, what is it that you are letting take longer? Or what is it that you are making take longer because of your thoughts about it versus like, it's actually just a five minute job or a 10 minute job? Right. I mean, I couldn't do three jobs if I wasn't able to do things faster than most people are able or most people believe they can really. Or like, if I wasn't comfortable with, you know, doing one draft and being like, okay, that's it. That's what we got. Right. So letting go of that perfectionism. I mean, I came from being a lawyer and I've coached a lot of lawyers and even coached a lot of lawyers who turn into entrepreneurs. And it's a big transition because as a lawyer, your training is basically, if you make a mistake, it's malpractice, right? Like everything has to be perfect. And if there are mistakes, like not only do you lose a case, but you can be sued. And so to go from that to being an entrepreneur where you're like, I don't know, it looks basically okay out the door is like a really different mindset. 
And it takes a while to like shift through that, I think. And so going from the habit of like quadruple checking everything and having four pairs of eyes on everything, right? Until being an entrepreneur is, it's a big mindfuck. It really is. And a few of the things that you brought up, a few of the things that came up when we were coaching together, you mentioned like sprinting. And I think that, I think like a lot of people, when I first speak about it, they're like, oh, the Pomodoro method, which I think is like 25 minutes on, five minutes off, which is like, I mean, it's like, yeah, that, but only three times then you're done for the day is really more. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. It's like that, except like switch the 25 and five minutes ratio. (laughs) A lot more than you are performing. And I think that's it. If you want to perform at a higher level, like rest is part of that. I think rest is part of that. I also do believe pretty strongly in the premise that it's not the action that burns you out. It's the thoughts and feelings behind it, because you can be working on something that you love and feel amazing and work 12 hours and not be upset at all. And you can spend 90 minutes on something that you have terrible thoughts about. And at the end, you're so burnt out. You don't want to do anything else for three days. Right. So I think the, like, it's not the work that burns us out. I mean, to an extent, obviously, like, you know, my sister was a medical resident, like that is an insane schedule. People are not sleeping for three days. Like that is biologically problematic. But for a lot of us, it's, it is that like, what is your thought and feeling behind it? And what is the kind of energy experience you're creating when you're working? But yeah, I mean, you and I worked a lot on coming to terms with the fact that I am more of a sprinter. And I mean, that I had known about myself, but I still had a lot of, because I think our productivity and worth are so tied up together. I think my real problem was not that I wasn't willing to admit I was a sprinter, but that I had a lot of thoughts about how I needed to be working the exact same number of hours as my employees, which is also hilarious because there are weeks that I work way more than them. And then there's weeks I work way less than, you know, they generally don't work on the weekends. I often work on the weekends. Like, mm-hmm. and sometimes that's because I'm working seven days in a row for that week, or sometimes it's because I took Wednesday off or whatever. But I think that for me was like, especially coming from like a social justice background, I think that was challenging for me. And the work we did on that helped a lot. And then going through this, I've been going through the, um, entrepreneurial organization process at US, which is like just a certain way of running your business, but like doing our kind of org chart, the way that they suggest it, which really lets you see what each role is responsible for and being like, oh, I'm actually the CEO. I'm also the director of sales and marketing. I'm also the copywriter weirdly still. And I'm also like doing the kind of strategic vision for my main program still like, and some of this work I'm now hiring to fill, but sort of seeing all that and being like, Okay, so maybe my thoughts that I'm lazy are not accurate. Like <laughs> that might be wrong. But it took like 10 years to work on that for that sort of laziness programming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's such a like deconditioning and deep learning, and it still shows up for me. Even this week, I had some sad news and you know, I was like, okay, well, it's Monday, my friend's visiting, so I'm going to be with her. And then I work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then, you know, so I'll deal with it Friday. And then by Thursday at like 5 p.m., I was on with my coach. And I was just like, my brain is frazzled. My body is fried. Like, I just, like, I yeah. I just, like, I'm obviously going to close my whole business. Like, I can't do this. <laughs> Whenever you go straight to like, well, that was a good run. Time to wrap it up. You're like, oh, I might not be thinking clearly right now. <laughs> right. I share that with everyone listening because I do think sometimes I can't perfectionist brain sneaks in and is like, and then I will get to a place where I never confront this like laziness method versus or this fear of like taking time off or this idea that like work is more important than I am. And it's like, it's going to creep in in different ways and your brain is going to very cleverly justify it. And sometimes you won't realize till right at the end, like me this week. And that's also okay. Like we don't have to get to this place of like, I'm always on it. I'm always clear. I'm always resting when I say socialization. You can't like, I was like, you can't get rid of all your socialization. That also teaches you not to pee in the street. Like we're going to keep a lot of what society has taught us. We're just trying to undo the most obvious damaging ones. So you and say I think it's also like, yeah, I listen, you can, if you want, I've, I live in New York. I see people pee in the street all the time, but you know, in general, it seems like communicable diseases went down when we stopped using the street as a toilet. So I think that's a good thing. I think it's also like learning to work with your, I hate being this person, but I have to say that I started, I don't have any kind of diagnosis and don't self-diagnose myself, but it's always been clear to me. I've got like some kind of inconsistent dopamine regulation happening. And I started I hate so much that this works so well, taking cold showers in the morning. And I like actually have really noticed it's not, I'm not a whole different person, but like the amount of times that I like need to sit down and do something and my brain just goes, 
peace out. I'm out. You just you figure this out. I don't know. I'm on vacation. Never mind. Has really gone down. I mean, I think the way this relates is like a like obviously not everything is thought work, but also b the way that the sort of toxic productivity capitalism programming impacts us is that it takes one specific type of you know I have actually met like one person in my life who could just go into office at nine, start typing away, type away straight till five, and then go home. It was like a guy that I was a fellow with at the Center for Reproductive Rights, like 15 years ago. If he's listening to this, he'll recognize himself. And like, that's the only person I've ever met who could do that. But like most of our beliefs about what we should be able to do are based on that, which most people, and especially if you're an entrepreneur, that's probably not you. Mm-hmm. That's probably not how your brain works, or you wouldn't be attracted to this kind of job and lifestyle. So I think that like we do have different types of brains. Our brains work different ways. And you know, some of it is mindset work. Some of it may be other techniques or other tools you need. But all of that is easier if you are not believing like, well, this is the way it's supposed to be. And I'm over here. And my goal is to get closer to the way I'm supposed to be. Yeah. It's like you have this default idea and then you're trying to get to be like that as opposed to, well, what if there's like 10,000 ways to be and do this? Where am I in the big scatter graph of how people handle their time and their work? Yes, yeah, absolutely. One of the things that often when people first join Time Hackers, they say is like, I'm here to like make my perfect plan and follow it. Like, where's the oh, video God. on the plan? And I'm like, welcome to where we don't teach planning. And they're like, what? <laughs> like the freak out. It's like, right. they, think like, they finally got the plan. Yeah. yeah. They're like, this is going to be the plan. You're going to tell me right. how to live. And I'm like, oh, how to work, how to operate, or how to use my time. I'm like, that's no. not what we do here. Yeah. Yeah. Has that ever worked for you before? And I think that's it. But it's like diets, right? People always want the diet that's finally going to work, just like they always want the planning or the time management system that's finally going to force their like human organic matter to be a robot. A hundred percent. I always speak about the time industry following the diet industry, 10,000 plans and none of them work. They just say, like they work for like a day and then they're unsustainable and then you jump to the next one and the next one and you end up in more chaos. In right. you know, getting less done, further away from right. you know, feeling worse about yourself, blaming yourself yeah. for the failure, and then like, let me just try the forty fifth one. Maybe that'll work, right? And it's like this one's definitely going to work. This one's the one, and yeah. then oh, well, there's something wrong with me, and then I'm going to retreat and hide away and just shame myself, and maybe not go for my goals and what go for what I want because right. clearly I'm the problem because this person said that like following this three step morning or thirteen. If I just get the little tomato timer. I'm just gonna everything will be fine. Right. This is like, I think about all the, a big thing that I've been speaking about recently is as I'm doing more of like the B2B coaching is time tracking, right? And this idea that like time tracking is the answer to remote work and it's a tool, but also it's not a tool. Like if your people are regularly time tracking, that is time they are spending not doing the work. And what do you do with that plan? Do you use it to berate them? Like, it's kind of like, the stick method of like, we're watching you, so you better not fuck up. And then what people end up doing is lying in it, misusing it, getting to the end of the day and you're like, oh shit, I can't even remember what I did. And just like it promotes disloyalty and, and essentially like a lying culture versus like, hey, if you, and it sounds like you do this, of course, but hey, like there's a reason you're not getting things done. Let's solve for that. Right. So, we do, yeah. I mean, we do use the sort of Monday hour, one hour done sort of tech, like, which to me, the big value of planning on a calendar, what you're going to do when is just information. Like a lot of people just don't have any kind of system. Like I watch people where it's just like, what are you doing? They're like, I don't know. I did write a to-do list yesterday, but I don't know where I left it. And then I think, well, my email has 37,000 emails in there literally. So I guess I'll look at my email and see what I'm supposed to be doing. Like just, Uh, it's just like total chaos. Right. (laughs) And so, and I think people like us don't really understand how many people are operating that way because that's not how my brain works. And I'm very organized and like, I don't, but I, you know, I have my partner, I have friends, like the amount of times I look at somebody's phone and it's like 37,000 unread emails, 146 unread texts, no system. And so I think for me, like it's sort of, it's not time tracking, it's like time planning. Mm -hmm. But one of the ways it's helpful for me as a boss, a lot of us have unrealistic expectations of what other people can do with their time. Right. Both because like, when we did everything, we weren't doing it at the scale that these people are, right? So in our mind, it's like, well, I used to do the customer service and do the sales calls and do the, it's like, yeah, because you had 12 one-to-one clients and now 
you have a membership of 3,500 people. So right. your customer service person is dealing with 3,500 people, not 12. Right. Like, so I, like for me, it's actually been, I think people think of it as like, well, it's for your benefit and looking at your employees, but it actually is very beneficial to them because I can see like, oh, these people are doing a full-time job. This is what they're doing all the time. Like as you grow, you have less insight into what's happening on the ground. And I do think a lot of the conflict that entrepreneur that I see entrepreneurs having with their employees when we're at this stage of like you have three, five, 10, maybe 20 employees. Yeah. Is like not knowing what they're doing really day to day and then thinking that they should be able to do more and not being realistic. And, mm-hmm. you know, this way, like when my team comes back to me, it's like, well, you want this thing, but it's not realistic. It they can be like, look, this is what we're doing. This is what's on the calendar. So where do you want us to do it? Whereas before it was like, they say they can't do it. And I'm like, I don't, I'm sure you have time. You can find some time. Right. And it'll take so, a while. Yeah, I just, just put it in a crack somewhere. Like, cause, cause as an entrepreneur, that's how we are. We're like, okay, well I'll just do it on Saturday or I'll just squeeze this in or I'll just, you know? So I think like any system, I mean, like any system, it's like, what are the thoughts driving it? Right. Like any action, there are people who like give their employees complete, you know, say of how they do spend their time on everything because they don't want to supervise. And mm-hmm. that doesn't end up good for the organization either, right? When you're just mm-hmm. like, oh God, I don't want to think about it. You just do whatever. Let's hope this works out. Like, so I think like anything, it's, you know, what's the thought and feeling driving your decision is going to yeah. come out. If you don't trust your employees and that's going to come out, whatever system you're using or no system and vice versa. Yeah, I think that's it completely. It's like, is there trust driving it? It's like any relationship, right? What's yeah. driving that relationship? And what's driving the decisions that you make behind it. Right. Like if you're texting your partner, when are you home? Because you're excited to see them and they know that's why it comes across and it has a very different result than if you're tracking their movements because you don't trust them and they know that's why you're texting them. Right. That's a great example. Also, one of the things that we spoke about just now was emails. And I do want to speak about it because I know that you also operate on very low inboxes I literally all of my inboxes are clean but but I was I was a 10,000 email person and I do I'll be honest I do still have a spam account for when I like sign up for things that like I don't really want to hear from and they just go straight there that's part of it but I I even clean that one out I understand I'm not normal but it's just really and have you always been like that or that's like a skill you developed that's a good question. I mean, I grew up before email was very popular. I'm 40. So we didn't, we didn't really start using email regularly, probably till college. I mean, we had a computer when I was in like middle school and high school, but you still, that was, a, you called your friends on the phones, you know, when you were 14, 15, 16 still. No, I think I've always been like that. I mean, I did read when I was clerking, a friend of mine introduced me to like David Allen, the get it done method. And a lot of it didn't work for me. Like part of my interest in coaching was me being like, Okay, but this assumes that you have like basically no procrastination, avoidance, or emotional drama about your work. So, what human is this for? Like, if you have none of those things, then you don't even need a system. You would just just do it. So that part, you know, for those who don't know David, his like old system. I don't know what he teaches now because things have changed so much. But this was back when people had fax machines and you didn't have a computer in your phone. You know, you didn't have a phone in your pocket all the time. And his system was like part of it, the part that I thought didn't make any sense if you were a human was like, well, you just, you know, have your priority list and you just do the things whenever you're at the right context for them. Like you're at your phone, you're at your computer, whatever. That part didn't work. But what really resonated with me from his work is that when like your email inbox is full, you are using up so much brain power to constantly be scanning it and try to see what's in there and look at what, like that you are sort of forcing yourself to make decisions over and over and over And that that's a huge waste of your time and your mental energy that like basically because you don't process it into tasks, instead you are using processing power every single time you go in there and be like, okay, what's in here? Oh yeah. There's the email from my lawyer that I never emailed. Now I'm thinking about whether I signed the will documents yet. Oh, there's the email from the tire place. Oh, there's the email from my butt. Like, so that was really powerful for me. And I think that's when I really started being like a I'm not fully like I used to be more fully zero inbox as my life has gotten more complicated. Now there's probably like often three or four hanging out in there I really haven't dealt with, which I need to. Part of that has just been like integrating now that I have a bigger team, like what system we use in the team. And then I've got my personal, it's just like not, I'm no Rachel Hart, who is the perfect, (laughs) truly the most organized person I've ever met, my, the Take a Break podcast host. But I think that was very powerful for me because I could just really see it. I was like, I could look at my email and be like, oh yeah, he's right. 
Like I can feel my brain doing this right now. And I can see how that's so inefficient. Yes. I think the same with to-do lists. It's like the exact same thing. Like you can write it all down, but every time you look at it, you have to so many decisions. And if you have something on there that you don't really want to do, like, great, there's everything else that you can do. instead. Right. That's why I was like, that part of the system doesn't make any sense. So what I teach like in the clutch is a combination of his system, the calendaring system, but with a healthy dose of like, this is not a thing to use to beat yourself up. So the point of the system is not to use it to police and berate yourself. Right. And if it doesn't work for you, mess around with it. Like, when I first started teaching this, even before, you know, I worked with you, like I already was teaching, like put a bunch of buffer blocks on there, move things around. Like I used to work with first year legal associates who literally didn't know what their job was going to be the next day. Cause their whole job was to jump yeah. to whenever a partner needed something. And so having like a flex for me, it's really like flexible structure. It's like, here's the general principles that I recommend, which is like, don't use your email inbox as your to-do list. And, you know, don't like, these are things that will drain your brain no matter who you are, because they're just inefficient. Mm -hmm. Leaving your fridge open, whatever you're eating, it doesn't matter. Things are not going to keep well in there if the Mm -hmm. fridge is open. So it's like, here are general principles that really have to do with how anybody's brain works. This is not good for anybody. And then beyond that, it's like, you know, modify things to fit your brain, your work style, all of that. But the most important thing is always, how are you talking to yourself about what you're doing? That matters more than anything else. A hundred percent. And and how are you talking to yourself about yourself? Like yeah. that's the number one driver of time. Like that's the number one driver of time wasted. That's the number one driver of time and efficiencies. And that's the number one driver of what you do and don't get done. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. It's funny as I'm listening to like what you teach and what I teach is it's kind of like mine's like the top down and your, your sounds like the bottom up. That's how I approach coaching though, because I really teach like, I mean, I have always found that like for coaching, at least if we coach from the top down, it's like, nobody feels worthy. Like I know, you know, like it's sort of like people come in, they're like, I have low self-esteem and I'm like, okay, what did you do yesterday? Because it's, if you're experienced at coaching, you can start with bigger picture thing. You know, you might realize, oh, I have this belief about money. I'll start shifting that. It's like big picture. Mm -hmm. But for people who are just beginning, given like a lot of people have been to talk therapy, a lot of people are on the like social media, pop psychology. There's just like, People are thinking it a lot at an abstract level that is not translating into any actual cognitive change or emotional change. And so, yeah, I am a big fan of like in my coaching work, it's like, okay, but I understand that you hate your body and you've always hated your body and you never, blah, 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 blah. like, what did you say to yourself this morning when you got dressed? Yeah. Let's work on shifting that thought. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think I am a, it is a funny thing about me. I'm a big picture thinker, but when it comes to implementation, I'm really yeah. a like start small, build up. Yeah. I work with a lot of perfectionists who are like, okay, I made my perfect plan. And I'm like, how about that thing you've been putting off for six months? Let's just commit to doing four minutes of it today. Right. Well, that's actually more similar to what I do. Actually, it's more like a, what are the three things that are going to make this week a successful week? And let's start. Yeah. And that's like how you measure it instead of like, this is how I'm going to do it. It's like, what are the outcomes you want to create? And let's yeah. just on that. And then it gives like the flexibility to be like, actually, I'm going to take Thursday off, or actually, right. you've got a doctor's appointment on Wednesday and it doesn't matter that like I'm not doing something that day for yeah. it may depend a lot on who your clients are but I think for my clients because they're so such perfectionists a lot of what happens a calendar is actually they have the most mental breakdowns about the calendar yeah. and it's not because the calendar is bad it's because like they're living in complete denial yeah how much they can get done and when exactly and like they actually need to have that come to reality moment of like okay so just be clear what I'm telling myself I should do would require 72 hours in a 24 hour period. So something has to get like, there's so much, it's sort of like people think the calendar is the answer. The calendar is like the 4% at the end when you have done all the emotional work, that is just a tool. And then you can adapt it. Do you really want to use your calendar? You want to use it somewhat. You want to move things around, whatever. I move shit around on my calendar. So it's not like a, I put it on. Yeah. I put it on to be realistic with myself about like, okay, well you said you had these five priorities for the week or three, whatever. Yes. You have 12 meetings and four podcast interviews. Like, where's that going? Yes. Yes. That sort of like denial and time blindness, which can also be a fun, you know, can be a neurodivergence issue, but also can just be kind of a perfectionist delusional issue. Absolutely. I I even remember before I was even coaching around time, a lot of things I was coaching on were about time. I didn't know it. Like this was going to be my work in the world. But I just remember coaching someone who was like, convinced that they had to get 20 things done in a day and like wouldn't let go of this idea. Random number. I know. And it was like, 
how's that going for you? Because what happens is you have 20 things on Monday, you get maybe three things done. And then suddenly on Tuesday, you've got 37 things. And then how are you counting things? Like, is the task send the email? Is the task draft the email? Think about the email. I mean, it's so arbitrary. Yeah. Yeah, People get very, we just put our worth on like that number. I just coached somebody in yesterday in my advanced certification in feminist coaching about, (laughs) she was like, it's okay to charge 200, but even 210 is dangerous. Like it was just like, yes. and she was like, and I think that feeling means 200 is right. And I was like, no, that feeling means that you've attached your safety psychologically arbitrarily to $200. Like, and the same thing of like, well, if I do the 20, that's how we're all looking for ways to judge and evaluate whether we're okay or not. Right. So if I hit the number on the scale or I do the 20 things or I finish my to-do list, even though I made my to-do list completely delusional or whatever, then that's how I know if I'm okay today. Am I allowed to go to sleep, not hating myself today? Or do I have to feel bad about myself? Like we have all these metrics for kind of evaluating whether we're up to snuff on a given day. A hundred percent. And I think you're right. It's like, I think the reason why we love numbers is because numbers are known and they're measurable and we can measure ourselves against them. So we attach numbers like safety to numbers in terms of our time, in terms of our to-do list, in terms of our finances, in terms of our weight, in terms of all of these things. like it's a known variable and we're yeah. and it's way scarier to be like it's just there's unknown things happening yeah. which is the reality of life yeah yeah i'll just fight in the void what else do we need to tell people what else do we need to tell people oh, is there anything else like even you thought about coming on here one of the fun things a lot yeah we have covered a lot but one of the fun things that came up actually when i was coaching you that i did want to share with people yeah. oh, was about reading books and not having to like read them. Oh, and yeah. That's been a whole thing. That's been a thing for me for years. Yeah. That sort of, I had this belief that like, if you're going to, I will say, I still haven't read any books, but I just don't stress about it anymore. I, just to be clear, people listening, I've read a lot of books in my life. My father was a rare book dealer and we didn't have a TV. So I read a lot growing up, but a lot of it was sort of, that's interesting. I hadn't made that connection, but I wonder if part of my resistance is like, feeling like I was assigned a lot of books to read growing up. And so anyway, what had come up was that I had this, I remember having this at the beginning of my business where, you know, I was like so overwhelmed by how many resources were out there for how to learn to do anything. And so I would just not take in any resources basically, because I was like, it's too much and overwhelming. At that stage of my business, I did actually need to learn some shit. And so my, like, I came up with the rule of like, you know, you just find one thing you implement, that's fine. And then it had sort of re- it had like resurfaced when I was working with you and we talked about that same thing of like reading a book doesn't mean I'm now committing to implement this entire process and do everything in the book. And we worked through that and I actually I hadn't thought about that since then but the upshot has not been that I read more books now. I mean I read novels, I read fiction. I still don't read most of the business books I have or the coaching books I have or whatever, but I don't really stress about that anymore. I just have like decided I don't need to and it's fine. And maybe someday I will, but I don't, you know, I think I've been creating my own body of, I mean, I got an education. I think it's important to learn about what you're doing, but at this stage, it's sort of like, well, I can work on the book I'm writing that comes out next year, or I can read yeah. somebody else's book. Yes. And that's, you know, where I am. So I think this is just a good example of how you, you know, you never know what the outcome of the coaching is going to be. Like you mm-hmm. think you're coaching to one end and then it turns out to be totally different, but you needed that coaching to get you there. Absolutely. And one of my time hackers actually shared this recently, Kelly, it was amazing. And she said like, she uses books like Oracle cards. So you'll just like pick them up and be like, yeah, get what I need from it. Instead of, again, how we've been taught we should read and what it should look right. like versus like, you literally like, there are no fucking rules. You just get to use, like, everything is a tool for you. We're not a tool for our calendars. We're not a tool for our goals. They're all there for us. Right. It was coming from being an English major too. Cause I used to have like close read text and mark things up. And like the scholarship I was producing was like a close reading of, you know, whereas especially with, let's be real coaching and business books, even my book on some level, like a 30 pager would get the core ideas across. Right. But you have to, you know, I mean, I think my book is going to have a lot of like concrete exercises people can do. So let's say it could be a hundred pages, but a lot of books that you read out there, it's like, there's one idea that is useful you could read the book proposal probably and you'd be fine, but it has to be 250 pages because that's what the publisher wants. And also I will say, I also do sometimes like the repetitiveness of a book because I feel like- yeah, it, it can like make you really absorb it for sure when it's a really important, useful one. Which yours will be. Do you have the title already? Yes, it's called Take Back Your Brain. What? So good. How sexist thinking can trap you and how to break free. 
Oh my God, it's going to be so good. So if you are listening to this in May 20, after, yeah, after May 21st, 2024, on or after, or the week, actually, that's not true. If you're listening to this by January, 2024, you should pre-order the book. Ah, listening to it after May 21st, you can just order the book. Perfect. And pre-ordering the book is a, is a time hack. So there you go. Yes. <laughs> I'll save you. You won't have to take my whole coaching course. It's going to really much more condensed. Amazing. Cool. I think we've given everyone lots to think about. If I was listening to this podcast episode, I would probably re-listen. And if you usually listen to your podcast episodes on like a double speed, you might want to slow it down. Maybe should have said that at the start. (laughs) (laughs) But I do think this is an amazing episode for everyone to really listen to and take notes. And also like we've just shared, maybe just think about like, what's the one thing that I want to take from it today instead of like, I need to implement all these things and change everything all at once. So that's, I think, the perfect reminder for us all. So let people know. I mean, you've kind of teased during. Unfuck Your Brain is my podcast. You can find that anywhere you get your podcast or go to unfuckyourbrain.com. And all my social media handles are Cara Lowenthal, which is a beast to spell, but I'm sure we'll be on the show notes here. (laughs) Also, at this point, my SEO is good enough that if you butcher the last name, you'll probably still find me. Ah, that's ARA and then some version of Lowenthal will get you where you need to go. Perfect. That's why I went with Vicky Louise instead of my surname because like yeah. no one can spell it right, including me. Yeah. Cara Ann just had a real Southern sound that I felt like probably wouldn't work as well. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. We will get all the links in the show notes. Great to see you as always. And this was an amazing episode. So hope everyone enjoyed. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you want more concrete, actionable tools that will really change your brain and change your life, I want to remind you to make sure you grab our totally free Love Hacks limited series podcast. Love is an emotion that we have to learn how to create for ourselves, and we need to know how to create an access in any situation. It's truly the emotion that makes everything easier, loving your job, loving your family, loving your friends, loving yourself, even people you want to set boundaries with. It's helpful to know how to do so from love. I have recorded a couple of private limited series podcast episodes all about different kinds of love, how to create love in different situations, and how to handle it when love is difficult or challenging or hard. You can get these only by texting your email address to plus one three four seven nine nine seven one seven eight four. Text your email again to plus one three four seven nine nine seven one seven eight four. Text your email address to us. We will ask for a code word. The code word is hacks, H A C K S, hacks, or just go to unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash hacks and you can opt in there to get access to this totally free but private Love Hacks limited series podcast. Takes what you learn on this podcast much deeper in the context of love, which truly applies to all contexts you might experience. So go ahead, opt in, grab that private podcast and start creating more love in your life today. <music>